Terrible Books with Kate. Doo-doo. Hi, this is Terrible Books with Kate. I'm Laurel Woods. And I'm Caitlin Wilson. And this is a podcast where Kate reads a really terrible book. That Laurel assigns to me and then I tell it back to her so she doesn't have to go to the burden of reading it. Yes. Um, and this is our seventh episode. Woo-hoo. <laughs> um, Seven is lucky, isn't it? Is seven lucky or unlucky? I think in some cultures it is considered lucky. It's going to be that in our culture. Sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I accept that. The, uh, I mean, it can be like uh, on the seventh, the seventh episode we rested so that we just like, we really just half-ass it this time. <laughs> this week, what did we read, Caitlin? It's, what did you read? I read a book called Return to the Secret Garden. Uh, I'm pretty sure that's the name of it. Hold on. Let me grab yes. it. And I think I put this into, um, so we've kind of been making up made-up genres as we go along, mm-hmm. right? Like craft-based mysteries and uh, LDS romances. I mean, I guess that's an actual genre. Yeah. But um, this genre, I think I defined as sequels to classics um, because there seem to be a lot of them. Yeah. Written not by the original authors, um, but by other people, sometimes hundreds of years afterwards. <laughs> yeah. So this book is not written or endorsed by Francis Hodgson Burnett. It's written by Susan Moody, who published it in 1995. I think the original book was 1911, so it's a very wide <laughs> gap. Very wide margin, yeah. <laughs> so you read The Return to the Secret Garden. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm going to describe the uh, cover as is tradition. Um, we see that there is a stone arch um, taking it most it's kind of framing the cover um and at the top there's like roses growing over the stone arch and through the stone arch we see that there is this very um ethereal looking garden it's kind of like a lot of splashes of color um and there is a woman in a white dress um turning away from our point of view and she's got her hair in one of those fun 19 tens hairdos those poofy ones with the bun yeah like anne of green gables had anne of green gables i love that um so it says for everyone who grew up loving mary dickon and colin um okay yeah so i hope that means for everyone who grew up loving mary dickon and colin here's something to ruin it (laughs) okay uh return to a world of enchantment and and i'm gonna read the back cover now return to a world of enchantment and beauty a place where roses bloomed in secret and three children discovered the magic of friendship an enduring classic of children's literature the secret garden is beloved by children and adults alike the story of the orphaned mary lennox fragile colin and scrappy Dickon is a timeless tale as full of life and renewal as the secret garden at its heart. It was at Misselthwaite. Oh, yeah. Misselthwaite. That's how I say it uh, in my mind. Be- <laughs> in my mind, yeah. The beautiful mansion on the Yorkshire Moors that the three children first met and became lifelong friends. And it is here as adults that they discover the healing power of love. Return to the secret garden takes us into the grown-up lives of Mary colin and dickon from the battlefields of france Mm -hmm. to 1920s london to india under the raj through it all they are joined by a bond deeper than time itself a friendship that began in the secret garden and which will carry them through tragedy and beyond what's beyond tragedy 
I don't know. More <laughs> tragedy, I guess. I guess because they always say like comedy is tragedy plus time, right? So tragedy okay. and beyond. So if we let time go on, then it'll become funny because someone will make a podcast about it. <laughs> Evocative and unforgettable, Return to the Secret Garden is destined to become a classic, a moving, heartwarming story that adults will want to reread again and again. Um, I feel like in that last sentence, she should have underlined the word adults because this is not a book for children. Uh, children should not read this. No, if, if your kid is like, oh my gosh, I loved the Secret Garden. It's so good. And you're like, oh my gosh, look it. There's a sequel to it. Be warned. Uh-huh. If it's Susan Moody's sequel. Ooh. Don't let your kid read it by himself. I'm, uh, I'm like just flipping through it and I'm seeing like two different spicy parts right now. So, yep. yep. It's very spicy. It's very spicy. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, uh, tell us more about this. But oh, I just want to say first book that we've read that has no blurbs. That's true. No blurbs. Yeah. Way to go. I do like how on the back, though, the first paragraph was basically just a re- telling of the original novel it's like not even talking about this one it's like the original secret garden is a classic beloved by everyone and you're like okay what about this book though and it's like oh yeah okay <laughs> we'll tell you about our book now <laughs> one two three go we start out it's a somber prelude mary in the 1950s or 60s so it's mm-hmm. mary in her later years looking back very somber next time jump we go into the action it's time jumping back to 1917 or 18 so it's like yes (laughs) it's like a few years after the events of the original secret garden Uh but like back from when we start in the little prelude Mm -hmm. so at this point colin and mary are at school in london and dickon is actually at war in the first world war he's in france on the front lines yeah um we go further mary gets engaged to barney samborn who loved her mother. What? In the original Secret Garden, do you remember when everybody died of cholera and uh-huh. Mary was just alone? Oh, yeah. And then there's two officers that come in and they're like, the one they says, find Barney, her. there's a child in here. Right. And Barney comes and he's like, who are They're like, you? give her a rose. So yeah. that Barney uh-huh. is this Barney that Mary oh, gets that's married creepy. to. Uh, yeah, because he like, we spend a lot of time in his point of view of him like, like fantasizing her mother's face over her own and calling oh. her by her mother's name. Oh. But she marries him and he has, he still has a commission in India. So she marries him and they go to India. Uh-huh. Full disclosure. Can I just say, okay, so I've read the secret garden once, okay. but the majority of my recollections of the secret garden comes from the musical. Oh yeah. So I mean, I'm just going to put that out there because if I screw up some plot points about the original Secret Garden, it's because I'm thinking of the one that has Mandy Patinkin in it. And so, um, okay. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, we can handle it. Yeah. So far, I did. In, and in that one, um, what's his face? Uh, Dr. Archibald mm-hmm. is in love with uh, Lily. Ooh. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Anyway, go on. Um, okay. So, Mary, Mary marries this dude. Dickon comes home from war and Colin is like, Colin doesn't approve of Mary's engagement. He's like, why are you marrying this guy? He thinks he's old. He's old. And he thinks you are your mother. It's really weird and creepy. You shouldn't marry him. You shouldn't move to India. Uh Dickon's finally coming home from war. We're going to be the three of us again. Like, why are you leaving? And Mary, for some obstinate reason, is just like, I'm just doing this. Mm -hmm. 
I don't care what you think, even though you're like my best friend and I spend a bunch of time worrying about your feelings. But when it comes down to it, I don't tell you that. So she's leaving anyway, even though Dickon is coming home. So Dickon comes home, Mary leaves to India, and then Colin and Dickon are sad that she's gone, but they're like, oh, let's go into business together. They start a landscaping business, Uh hearkening back to the garden, the garden, the secret garden. Um, And so at this point, we've got different geographical locations. So we're jumping back and forth between points of view. Mm -hmm. So we hear about them starting their business, and then we jump over to Mary in India. Mary hates her India life. She finds it boring. Everybody just gossips about the same things. There's always the same parties. She hates sex. There's, it goes into that. Also, it was like kind of the fashion of the day. You just don't talk about it. But even more so, nobody prepared her beforehand for what sex right. was going to be like. And so yeah. she hates sex, hates Aww. her husband because of that. Uh-huh. Gets pregnant, has a baby. Oh, traumatically, the birth is yeah. very ev- like vividly and traumatically described and then has terrible postpartum depression oh sad eventually she enters into an affair with an officer uh-huh. her baby girl dies right at the moment that she is consummating the affair like they're at a party and she hears her husband calling for her but she's like in the middle of having sex and later she finds out he was calling for her because the nurse had come from home to to get them because the daughter was ill oh that's some real like victorian biblical morality tale right there that is intense it's yeah i was trying to summarize this and this is my longest bullet point because i'm like there's so much that happens to mary in india like how can you even it yeah it's intense and very disturbing because it is very vividly described. So she had had that all happen and she returns home to England in disgrace and she doesn't tell anyone that she's back. She basically goes, leaves, leaves her husband, doesn't tell Colin or Dickon that she's home and kind of lives in a flat and is very poor for a long time. And is time. just like hiding out. Yeah, hiding out in London. Um, Colin finds out because he just sees her on the street one day and he's like, that's Mary. What's going on? So mm-hmm. he goes to ask one of her old society friends and she tells him, oh, actually, I think it's it's Barney Sanborn's sister. So it's Mary's sister-in-law. Okay. And she's like, at first she's like, I can't believe you're coming to talk to me. This is so, you have so much nerve. And he's like, I literally don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Please tell me what's happening. And she's like, oh, you really don't know? He's like, I just said that. <laughs> <laughs> Um, He's actually pretty sexist and condescending in that conversation. We'll talk about it more later. But whatever. He finds out that Mary's back. He finds out that her child died. And he tries to get in contact with her. But she just she's, again, being really stubborn and just like, I'm going to make it on my own. I have Mm -hmm. this terrible secret. I can't tell anyone. And I'm just going to make it on my own. She teaches music to rich families for a living. Um, Actually, one of the pupils' father starts to kind of fall in love with her and starts to woo her. And part of his wooing is that he decides to take her out to his country house that he's having built. And Mm. he's like, you're going to love it. It's going to be awesome. I want to show you all the grounds. And she gets out there to the Uh country house. Who is the one designing the grounds? Surprise. It's Dickon and and Colin. It's their landscaping business. Uh, Surprise. So she gets there and Dickon comes in and they just like start kissing and like running around together. And the guy is like uh what (laughs) like start kissing like making out or like Mm -hmm. yeah they just like make out on the shores of this lake where dickon is like designing a lake house for this rich older gentleman and the and the older gentleman is like um i can't i brought you here to have an affair with me yeah (laughs) 
me. Uh, excuse me. <laughs> ah, so that's, but there's been no, and and you can you can stop me here if you don't want me to interrupt here. But like, no, there's been no indication that Dick Dickon and Mary have romantic feelings for each other right dickon does talk about like when we're reading dickon's war chapters he does Uh talk about his feelings for mary oh okay mary her feelings are a little more muddled because she's both dickon and colin right and and all three of them are just locked into this threesome okay they can't they're super codependent yeah they can't pull themselves out of that triangle yeah yeah it's it's reoccurring and kind of disturbing um at one point, I think I wrote, there's like a star-crossed sadness that I don't love in this book because it's just like anytime a big decision comes that one of them could po- potentially like pull out from this. Not. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, they're like, but the pull was just too strong that we had to stay as a, as a trio. And I'm like, you really don't. Like, I, I don't see compelling reasons in this text that you have to stay together just for the sake of your childhood friendship. Like mm-hmm. it, it just doesn't, it doesn't feel compelling. There's not a lot of reasons giving. It's just, it's just the author is working on, they were friends. They had like that magic together in the original secret garden and that's all that's keeping them together now. Right. And I'm like, well, for me, that wouldn't be strong enough to keep me with my childhood friends if they were toxic and we were ruining each other's lives. Right. I, I don't think, but and that is why you are a better person than the characters in this book. <laughs> but yeah, um, yeah. So yeah, we, so what, what we happens know that, after they hook up? We know, so yeah, we know that Dickon has been like pining after Mary, kind of know her feelings. They start having an affair. Mm-hmm. She won't marry him or say that she loves him. He's really confused by that. It turns out because it's, it's confusing. Well, it turns out it's a classism thing. She's like, <sighs> "You're below me. You're below yeah. my station. I'm a lady, and you're just a poor Yorkshire boy whose dad was a coal miner." even though they're super in love. And so that causes a lot of strife. Um, This part was really weird. Barney Sanborn, her husband, comes back to England and allows himself to be caught in bed with another woman so that Mary can have a divorce. Oh, interesting. Yeah, it's like framed as like a decent, respectful thing that he does because he's granting her this. Like, I guess that's the only way that they could get divorced is if he like, freeze her from this your face is priceless at this point i wish that our podcast was a visual medium (laughs) i never wish that because i do this at the end of my work day (laughs) i just look like you were smelling something really gross yeah scrunched Um, up it's just it just is a weird and i mean i feel like i've seen this in books before right and i was like i i don't like this but also i don't want to judge it too hard because what if that really i mean what if that really was the only way that this could happen. And to to go back to a never ending well, um, Anna Karenina. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I, and I won't cut it out this time. Uh, the uh, I mean, in Anna Karenina, what's his face? Anna Karenina's husband, mm-hmm. something Karenin, was given that choice as well by the oh, priest. Right? right? He was yeah. like, okay, well, um, you obviously want to divorce her. Yeah, um, she can't divorce you because that's okay, not allowed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You have to, or well, you, see, she she can only divorce you if you have an affair. Okay, and yeah. so you either need to have an affair or you need to um, falsely admit to having an affair. And Karenin is too proud to mm-hmm. um, do that for Anna. Yeah, or whatever. Which you know. Okay, so yeah, yeah. 
So she she has a divorce and she keeps on having her relationship with Dickon, uh-huh. not marrying him, but just being in being in that relationship. In the meantime, she joins the business. So the trio is together in this business um, and she's the secretary, but also like fundamentally changes the way they do things because I think it's trying to demonstrate they're not. If even one of them is missing, they're not as powerful or as good as they all are together. So when Mary joins the business, it just takes off. She has all these great ideas. And at one point, Colin wants to go to Paris to research some things for the business. So Mary and Colin go together to Paris. Um, While they're there, Mary and Colin have sex. They're cousins. Um, I know. (laughs) They... It doesn't matter, I guess. The author does not have the justification of time on her side because this was written in 1996. Right. Yeah. 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 They're cousins and they have sex and then he proposes and she accepts. So they're getting married now, even though she just came from like, like the night before she left for Paris with Colin, she was sleeping with it. She like got up from Dickens house, Dickens bed to go on this trip with Colin. And then she just sleeps with Colin and, accepts his proposal and they're going to get married i i want to just put in a disclaimer here we are far from like far be it from us to you know judge someone for that like we are i just want to say that this is just very baffling to me it's just and it's jarring in the way that it's written because you're like wait 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 a minute i thought you were in love with dick and it just it's it's the transition is not handled well so that you're like oh oh hairpin turns all of a sudden we're over with colin but Uh, uh, but also first cousins at that point too you're like oh oh no it doesn't it doesn't work well for us yeah so they decide to get married of -hmm. course dickon is heartbroken of course he loves her but she just never will tell him that she loves him and now he's like oh well she'll marry someone it's colin oh so she can keep her status as a lady and Uh she'll be lady of misselthwaite manor um and then they come back and they all still work together they just and it's totally fine and I'm that's like, heartbreaking at this point i'm like this is just fantasy fulfillment i think for this author of just yeah this wanting, is fanfic yeah of just yeah. wanting to make these disastrous life choices but have everything go totally back to normal and have mm-hmm. no repercussions basically right. Right. um mary discovers this one was intense they're married they're living at misselthwaite she's pregnant she's not having a great time she discovers by creepily watching from the bushes that colin is homosexual and then Mary and Colin never have sex again. They're just good friends. They're in this marriage. They basically had enough marital relations to produce a baby, and then they just never have sex again. And their friendship is totally fine. It doesn't impact anything. Again, more wish fulfillment. Tell me your thoughts now, Laura. I feel like you have something to say. Is this the end of say. the book? No, it's not. I just... Uh, I feel like it's... Uh, I feel like it doesn't honor the characters mm-hmm. to a not give Mary any justification for her, not justification, but get, not give any motive behind her actions. Right. Because right. obviously having multiple affairs. Right? right. That is an indication to me that like, oh, like you probably have some problems with intimacy. And like mm-hmm. I, as a reader, I wouldn't want to necessarily be witnessing that self-destruction mm-hmm. um and not have some sort of understanding of the motive for it yeah um and then second like not honoring 
the character of Colin's experience of being a gay man, right? Mm-hmm. And what that means to his relationships and like including his relationship to Mary, but also probably to Dickon, mm-hmm. right? Oh, like yeah. it just it doesn't up. seem like it's honoring the characters in any way. Definitely not. And I think I I keep coming back to the word jarring, but it just is so jarring that big emotional events happen and then the emotions aren't there yeah I, and i think that you you sum it up in that like it it's wish fulfillment mm-hmm. it's like i want the characters to kiss and yeah. kiss now you know yeah, like yeah putting barbie's faces together you know <laughs> just mash them. um just mash them and it it just yeah anyway go on okay so um mary has the baby uh-huh. his name is richard mm. he is raised by all three so Okay, so Every- the codependence continues. <laughs> yeah. Everything that these people do, they just do it together in a threesome. Um. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I should say it, but maybe it needs to be addressed. They don't actually ever have a sexual threesome. Oh, all together. Yeah. Yes, all okay. together. They're just all always fantasizing about each other all the time. <laughs> uh, uh, okay, whatever. A bummer. So... Richard grows up with essentially three parents, Mary, uh-huh. Colin, and Dickon. Which, um, on the surface, seems like kind of a nice arrangement. Also, we're doubtful about Richard's paternity. like, uh, um, and, and it's never super resolved. And so it's kind of just like... And, and we see things from Colin's point of view where Colin is like, I am fully aware that like this will not be a satisfying marriage for Mary. He's like, I'm totally fine if she has an affair with Dickon. But they can't, like, come out and say it because of social constrictions, I guess. Oh, he doesn't say that to her. No, he doesn't say that to her. And so she's just kind of in the dark wondering, and he's just, like, in the dark hoping that she's being satisfied by someone else. And it's just they just can never come out and say it, which frustrated me because I was like, ask for what you need mm-hmm. or tell the other person what's going on. But maybe they just can't because of social conventions. But also, we don't actually know what all the social conventions are. Right. It's it's really muddled because yeah. of the way that she's writing this. Um, I, and I have a thought about that, but I'm going to hold it until okay. after the summary is done. Okay. <laughs> baby Richard. Baby Richard. Starts growing up. We go through some time jumps where we're like, he's a baby. Oh, wait. Now he's 11 years old. And you're like, oh, oh, trying to keep up with his life. Um, Children, man, they just grow up so fast. He grows up and he goes to school. When he leaves, Mary and Dickon resume their affair. Like, the minute that he's gone. Mary, like, waves goodbye to him. And then she sits down in her study and she's like, oh, I just really want Dickon, but I need to be strong, so I'm not going to go to him. And then she looks up and he's at the window and he's like, hey, what's up? <laughs> <laughs> Let's start our affair again. Okay, cool. Okay, why not? Wish fulfillment. <laughs> so... um. Richard is away at school, and then World War II begins, and Richard joins the Royal Air Force. He finds an American girlfriend, um, and they get married, like, the weekend before a really intense mission, and it actually turns out to be Richard's last fatal mission. His plane goes down over the channel as he's returning. So there's this, you know, sad American girlfriend, wife now, they got Uh married, sad American wife, who nobody at home knows about. No, Dickon knows about her. Mm-hmm. Dickon came down to London one day and had a picnic, and they went all out in a boat together, the three of them. Um, but nobody else knows that she exists. And so she tries to come up to Misselthwaite and approach Mary and be like, I was married to your son. 
we let's grieve together and Mary just rejects her. Oh. Un again jarring because it's like wait, why? And it literally right after she rejects her, she tries to make it up to her. And I'm like, "Well, why did you reject her in the first place?" Like yeah. Out of grief maybe because her son's dead and she just didn't want to believe it, but it just seems like really strong reaction of rejection and then literally she runs to the window as the car's driving away. It's that quick that she re- she re- regrets her actions and tries to make it up. Right. But isn't able to. Mm-hmm. Which also seems unrealistic. Just run down the stairs, just send one of your many servants to just flag down the car and halt them before they get out of the two mile long driveway. Like she's still on your property. Just go grab her. But no, that can't happen. So that gal goes away. Turns out she's pregnant. I knew it. You knew it. <laughs> um, and at this point, this is actually sad. They discover that Dickon has committed suicide Oh, out of grief over Richard's death and he left a note and at that point we find out Richard's paternity Dickon was actually Richard's real father so how does he know that I don't know maybe he doesn't actually because the book I think just to have him know it okay yeah yeah Yeah. um and then more disconcerting time jumps Amy Richard's wife goes back to America where she was from She has the baby, lives with her parents, finds another husband. They get married. They have some more kids. Time jumps, time jumps, going through the kids growing up. And finally, her child, her first child from her first marriage to Richard, she names him Dickon after the man she met once on a boat. And but she I mean, she knew Richard really admired him. So that it's honoring Richard and and his memory. And so she names him Dickon and he keeps asking about his family in England. And then all of a sudden. Her current husband is like, honey, I got a job in Europe. Let's move there. And he, she's like, okay, totally. And they move over to England. And so little Dickon, young Dickon, new generation Dickon, I guess, he keeps asking about his ancestral family. And so she's like, I got I to gotta take you to meet your family. Mm-hmm. And so she takes him up to Misselthwaite. She waits in the house. And her little kid is like, I know where grandma's going to be. I'm going to go find her. And she's like, oh, what? And he just walks out and like by magic finds his way to the secret garden Uh, where Mary is sitting and darkly reminiscing uh over her life and the mistakes she made Uh, and her inability to welcome Richard's wife into the bosom of the family. And she's just beating herself up. That's like this is where we come back to the really dark prelude. Mm -hmm. That's what Mary she was just sitting there being harsh on herself for not being able to be a better person, I guess. Mm -hmm. And Dickon finds his way there magically and she recognizes him instantly. He looks just like her Dickon. And so she knows it's her grandchild and they embrace and are healed. And that's the end. Thanks, Caitlin. (laughs) Initial thoughts. What do you think? Yeah, um, (laughs) I I do have some initial thoughts. Um, but I just wanted to, to ask you actually, like, what do you think, what, what are some things, and I don't mean like specific things like grammar problems mm-hmm. or, you know, what, what are some things that made this book not stellar? Um, I, I think just from the outset, like I wrote down right in the beginning, there's drastic tonal shifts. So like when you're in Mary's prelude 
all of a sudden she's talking about how she wishes euthanasia was legal because she just wants to die. And you're like, wait, what? I'm on page 19. Like, this is so heavy. And why do you feel this way? And are we going to find out? And I don't know if I even want to find out because that's so heavy. And then that prelude ends. And then all of a sudden you're, you know, back in the past. You're in 1917 and you're like, okay, what's happening? Um. And <laughs> at a certain point, I did write down, so I was on page 169, so I'm about halfway through the book, and I wrote down, am I being too prudish about the way sex is being approached in this book? Because uh, most of my notes up to that point were like, wait, what? What's happening? Who's doing what? To who? <laughs> and then I was like, I don't, I don't want to come from, I guess I just, I was like, I want to think critically and outside the box and not just come from my narrow worldview of just like okay like you said like I don't want to slut shame Mary uh-huh. I don't want to just assume that my way is the right way to do things and like or assume a historical accuracy that maybe isn't actually there mm-hmm. so I was like I want to make sure that I'm not de- being too I guess harsh on the characters but it was it was very uncomfortable to read and mm-hmm. I think because coming from knowing the characters in the original Secret Garden as children, right now all of a sudden we're like, okay, now we're dealing pretty explicitly with right. their hormonal changes and their emotional changes and very frankly and candidly talking about their sexual lives. And I was just like, I, I'm a, I personally am uncomfortable with these childhood characters now oh wait they're adults and we're going to talk about this Mm -hmm. and well and i think that i think that we should draw a line right of of you know there's a difference between not liking a character um not not liking a character engaging in certain behavior right yeah um and and a character engaging in self-destructive behavior um, okay, and usually, yeah. right, like having, as we were saying earlier, right, like having many affairs, right, or I mean, even just one affair, right, but having, like, jeopardizing your relationships repeatedly mm-hmm. is a sign of, like, instability in a certain way. And in a book that is honoring their the characters, right, and is giving the reader a chance to understand the characters and to actually portray, like, a human story, right, Yeah, you'd get more of an idea of... The motivations, right? And that motivation might be as simple as they're a narcissist. <laughs> um, or, but you'd, you'd get an explanation for that. Right. Not just this beloved character is suddenly acting in a way that you as a reader can't rationalize because, yeah. A, you probably don't see the same way, life the same way as this character mm-hmm. because you're you, right? Like, yeah. just speaking from your perspective as a reader of like someone who really does see sex as something that belongs inside like a marriage between two people right Right. that's your perspective that's your perspective right Right. and so like yeah it's i'm having a hard time getting my thoughts together but basically i guess what i want to say is that like there is this bad behavior and the book isn't bad because the behavior is bad the book is unsatisfying because you don't understand why the characters are doing this. Yes. And especially because it's characters that you love. And I think too, there's a time lapse because we, we come to the characters 
basically like when we get into the story, we come to them when they're like 17 and 18 years old. Yeah. Where we left them at 11 years old in the garden. So we don't know anything that happened in those years. And like maybe a lot did happen that made them all okay with the sexual freedom that they're now having. But we don't know that. Well, and, and it's unfair it's not- to the reader if it like, because say the author was like, oh, they should know that stuff that happened to them in the first book, right? Like Mary's parents dying, yeah. having attachment problems, mm-hmm. Colin being locked away in a room for 12 years. <laughs> That'll kind of screw you up, right? right? Yeah. And, and so it, it's unfair for an author to assume that a reader will be able to predict what trauma in a previous book written by a completely different author <laughs> will do to characters in a completely different book. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I... um. And I think another part of the wish fulfillment aspect of it is that I really feel like Susan Moody just wants to go off and just write her own story yeah. very loosely tied to these characters. And in a way, <laughs> she she does that definitely. Mm-hmm. But she she keeps trying to pull you back by like hearkening back to phrases from right. the first book. Like, And at one point, too. Oh, hold on. Let me find this. At one point, <laughs> Mary says something, a line from the first book. Like when Colin comes into the garden for the first time. He says, I feel as if I'm going to live forever and ever. And then in this book, Susan Moody's book, Mary quotes that. And this is the descriptor. She spoke as if reciting from a much loved childhood story. And I was like, oh, heavy handed. (laughs) (laughs) How meta can you get, Susan Moody? (laughs) Was that her one instance of being meta? No, it happens all throughout the book of her just trying to like recall back to... Uh events and like they it's like they have romanticized their own childhood and they're always like quoting about it to each other Mm. um remember when dickens said this yes it's immortalized in golden time in my memory and that's unrealistic only because i think if if you're in those intervening years of development you would i is it is it bothering you because they're only hearkening back to memories that the author knows the audience shares or is it annoying yes. to you because you don't like the romanticization of um, childhood? No, it's annoying to me because the audience, she's, she's only referencing stuff from the first book. So the audience is kind of like in on the joke. And also it holds the characters in that first book by hearkening always back to things they did in that first book. She's not letting them grow, mm. even though they have grown and jumped drastically different character changes but right. she's still like but remember and and i think because i guess this is my personal idea but if you grow up with someone and you're still friends for all those years things would have come up between that golden time and now like your relationship would have developed together in a way that that you wouldn't have romanticized only that one era of your childhood yeah yeah. there would be more good things there would also be more bad things your relationship would have changed changed and obviously i mean it does change they're all sleeping together so that changed i will say that like the one phrase that popped into my head while you were describing like the heaviness of this book Mm -hmm. um well also just the trivializations of the characters right is like i was like this is like a Khalid Hosseini book like the author of like the kite runner and stuff like oh, yeah. that, like in 10,000 sons is like, it's a deeply yeah. sad personal tragedy yes. story, but with the characters from a fanfic, like yes. it's literally yeah. like, Oh, like let's take all the personal tragedy mm-hmm. and just take other characters from an already existing thing and like uh, insert them over it. 
but then also not explain why the tragedy is happening, uh-huh. not put it in any context emotionally, psychologically or yeah. anything like that. Or even historically, it sounds like um, yes. there wasn't like, yeah, yeah. And I guess that was jarring for me, too, because the original Secret Garden, it's taking place in this kind of idyllic pastoral landscape where they're just in this beautiful golden garden and like the outside world doesn't really intrude. But in this book, you're, I mean, you, you start out in world war one and then when the war gets over and it's 1920s London and they're talking about like jazz clubs and Mm -hmm. Mary and Dickon are having an affair living in a flat in London. And, and you're just like, Oh, well, Oh, okay. They're not in a garden anymore. Wait, what? Oh, they're in a city. (laughs) Uh, There's soot all around. How can Dickon stand that? He hates that. Does Dickon even talk to animals anymore? I don't know. Like, <laughs> <laughs> does Dickon even talk? Just, just really gnarly squirrels. Um, do you, do you feel like you have dealt with? I mean, do you read a lot of books that have time jumps in them? Is time jumps mm. like a problem for you in general? Not if they're well done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, well, this kind of feels like a little bit of a bummer of a book. Yeah, it, it was a bummer. There were some funny things. Let me see if I can find some funny things. Just l- <laughs> let's loosen it up real quick, right before the end. At one time, Colin is like waxing, sadly poetic, and he's like, I am an orphan. And I'm like, you're not an orphan. You have a dad. <laughs> Your dad's still alive. But he's like trying to commiserate with Mary because she is actually legitimately an orphan. And right. I'm like, Colin. Uh, is he mansplaining being an orphan to her? Yes. <laughs> Actually, I have it worse. Because, yeah, I also am an orphan. Because I lost my mother, and like, mothers are more important than both parents. Colin, your dad's still alive. I guess his dad did lock him up for 12 years and didn't No, no, that wasn't him. necessarily his dad. It wasn't that like a whole like... It was, though. It was his dad, but I think it was like his dad didn't know what... Well, yeah. Didn't his know dad was real him. messed up. I actually... So I actually went back and read the original oh, after yeah? I finished this, and I was like, I want to... Did, did it hold up? You like it? Um, there were some problematic things that I didn't remember. That makes it. sense. But I mean, written in 1911. Right, right, right. For sure. Um, <laughs> and I mean, even 1996, right? Yeah. So many. But I mean, I guess, I guess, and this is like the draw, the line that I always have a, a hard time drawing with this podcast, right? Of, um, just because it's a problematic thing doesn't automatically make the book bad. Right. Yeah. It does make, it can make a character less likable in modern day yeah times and it can make and it can make like the book less enjoyable to read and less relevant but it doesn't make it poorly written no and that's something that i thought about this book too that i was like i I think my my poorly written part of it is really just the time jumps and trying to force a perspective on the reader that you don't have right that's the poorly written part of it the actual writing was very the back of the book said evocative and i agree with that 100 percent. yeah it was vivid and detailed sometimes in a way where, where like so describing childbirth Dickin, you said yes childbirth and mary's uh postpartum dis- depression was very Ugh. accurate that is uh, not, rough yeah fr- accurate i guess from you know observing yeah. it in friends and people who are open about it i have a particular friend who lives in Virginia and just had twin baby girls and she has a three-year-old and went through postpartum depression super heavily with her three-year-old mm-hmm. and now has been really, really transparent about it now with her pregnancy with her twins and having had them. So I guess I'm just pulling from her experience and, right. and applying it to this where I'm like, okay, yeah, that's accurate. I feel what Mary's feeling in this story. Right. Um, Dickon, when he's in the war, Dickens description of the war 
is the way that she does it is kind of like the the whole Dick and Moore chapter is a letter to home and then Dickens actual experience, another letter to someone else at home, Dickens actual experience. Right. And so it's kind of the flashback of this yeah. is what, this is what I'm presenting to my family. This is the actual horror that I'm living through. That was really well done. I, that chapter while heavy and very sad, I was like, "This, I, I admire the way this was written. It's mm-hmm. very vivid, and even um, so, it's very those things are heavy and sad. But even like the happy parts, where Mary um, has her second baby and and falls in love with him, a thing that she didn't experience with her first her little girl, she just couldn't get that feeling of like motherhood. But her second baby, she does, and the joy that is described there too. You're like, oh wow this is great. I feel really great. So it's both ends of the emotional spectrum and you're really feeling it. Yeah. It's very described. Also beautiful rooms, beautiful meals are described. Mm, We've talked about that before. Love a good meal description. (laughs) Yeah. And I didn't mind it in this book because I'm like, oh yeah, that sounds great. Delicious. (laughs) Give me some of that. (laughs) Um, There was one part where it's right after Mary and Colin have sex in Paris and Colin is like reflecting on it. We're like in Colin's point of view. And he says, does it disturb me that Dickon has made love to my cousin? And I was like, oh, does it disturb you that you have? Because it should. (laughs) (laughs) And then to literally a page later, (laughs) he's asking Mary to marry him. And she's like, but we're first cousins. And I'm like, oh, so now that he wants to get married, it matters that you're first cousins. Also, I'm pretty sure that was pretty common back then. Was it? Yeah. Wasn't it? Was it Darwin that married his first cousin? Yeah, and then it was like after he got married that like he was like, Oh wait. Oh wait. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but if it was common, then great. why is it coming up now? That's my thing, is that I'm like, if it was common, why didn't it bother Mary when they were having sex? And why does it bother her now that they're first cousins? Like, if it's common yeah. for first cousins to get married, why is she having a qualm about it all of a sudden? Oh. Is he Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it was I was like, Mary. <laughs> oh, I make see. Make up your mind. Yeah, no, I got all twisted. Around. Susan Moody, stop fantasizing about your characters. And then all of a sudden, oh wait, social conventions. Oh wait, those <laughs> actually didn't exist. Wait a minute. What? <laughs> stop confusing my friend. <laughs> the um Oh man. And then <laughs> when Mary and Colin are engaged, she rejects Dickon. Everybody's sad about it. But I said now Mary is engaged to Colin, rejecting Dickon, even though Colin would probably love it if they all got married together, the three of them. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I can't, and I actually can't discern from this book if Colin is homosexual or bisexual. He mm-hmm. has an attraction to Mary, definitely. It's not right. just like a marriage of convenience. Yeah. It talks a lot about his attraction to her, but he also has a very strong attraction to Dickon. Yeah. And so, and I'm like, and I don't know if that's coming from like a general bisexuality or only just this trio's like really strong connection. If he's just emotionally involved. And so is then fantastically involved. Bisexual erasure is like real. Yeah. Even up till now. Right. So in 1996 for this author to be a little bit, vague about it and Mm, i mean okay not every like people don't necessarily understand their sexuality yeah Yeah, um yeah so it's like it's kind of weird because it's like historically accurate in two ways (laughs) because um (laughs) you know people not really having the words to describe their Mm -hmm. own sexuality uh in that era right but then also 
Susan Moore in the 90s to not necessarily acknowledge and name yeah. bisexuality. That makes so sense. It's like duly historically accurate. Oh, in both of the eras. In both of the eras. <laughs> I was reading a thing about the Victorian era, which is a little bit before the start of this mm-hmm. book. Um, it would have been like in Collins and Dickens and Mary's childhood, I yeah. think would have been Victorian era. Yeah. Um, it was talking about the like the LGBTQ experience in the Victorian era mm-hmm. and how people just came up with kind of their own language for it. Yeah. And it was not unified whatsoever, even within communities. And there was um, a lot of different kind of subcultures. And I mean, as there is now, right, but even more so and even more secretive and um, so many people keeping coded diaries. It's really crazy. Oh, I would love to read one. Of yeah. Those just like, like people what? coming up with their own code, mm-hmm. writing their diaries about their exploits, you know? Yeah. And, uh, or just general life, right? So that people can read it. And yeah. Yeah. So crazy. I do think this, like we were talking about, like kind of the folly of characters and, and, um, I guess passing judgment on them. Something that I did think was, admirable of colin once mary had their baby he stopped extramarital sexual encounters he he which i mean must have been enormously difficult for him for his character Mm -hmm. but he was like i this is my family this is my son i want to be an example for my son i'm gonna be but i mean but he also wasn't having sex in his marriage and mary just never slept together again i don't know i i think that we can add that to the list of like motivations that we don't quite understand yeah. from a character that we don't feel is fully being honored yeah 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 um when you say not being honored i did i did write something down about that can you hand me the book actually yeah um i i didn't use flags i couldn't find my post-it notes so i didn't flag anything but Darn i just it. wrote down page I, numbers too so bad we the world ran out of post-it notes <laughs> Uh, I was uh, waiting so long for this book that I, when I got it, I was like, oh, I just have to like yeah, read this. Yeah, it took really so long. It took too long. It was not on Amazon Prime because no one wants to buy it. So nobody <laughs> has it in stock. I guess that means that we can't put an affiliate link. <laughs> not that anyone's used we it. We can't. <laughs> um, so in this last bit, Dickon is resigning himself to the fact that Colin and Mary are married and he can't ha- like carry on his affair anymore. But he's, he's sad about it. And... Um, He says this, the knowledge that Mary was close at hand filled him with exhilaration. Instead of being downcast by her inaccessibility, he was uplifted by it. He had been brought up according to a rigid code. He had learned early that things were either right or wrong, good or bad, black or white. Now he surveyed the future and saw it composed of an infinite number of grays. And I wrote at this point, I was like, Dickon is not, parentheses, shouldn't be. A morally gray character from the first book Dickens has I mean he has a strong sense of right and wrong and the fact that his experiences have brought him like I just it it's not honoring the character it's not honoring the character of Dickens she just pulled these people out because she's like I like this right. book I want to write fan fiction so that's what I'm gonna do <laughs> and I mean I think yeah I keep yeah. on saying fan fiction and I'm like but oh, it is but though. it kind of is <laughs> I guess yeah I I think that that's that 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 happens a lot with like adult literature if like you know what i mean like where it's like oh we're gonna get dark you know and mm-hmm. um you know because adults have really dark lives and it's yeah. like yeah adulthood's pretty uh pretty rough definitely and yeah. there's like gray areas but i think that yeah a lot of literature lumps all adults into 
everyone just accepts a grayish sense of morality. And mm. speaking as someone who does have a really st- strong gut instinct of what is right and wrong and like, yeah, there are grays in the world, right? Yeah. But um, I find that that is alienating mm-hmm. in books a lot of the time where people with really strong gut instincts just say, well, got to give that up because, you know, yeah, it's all grayscale. Um, so, yeah. yeah. Oh, Dickin. Oh, man. I feel character. like really like I just like, oh, gray. <laughs> oh, I just feel really I quit reading um, a book the other day because I was like, I'm trying to read like more literature or whatever. Yeah. Anyway, I'm trying to be more intentional with what I read. And so I'm only reading books by women or authors um, of color or black authors or mm-hmm. native uh, or like indigenous authors. Right. Yeah. And um, I was reading this one book and within like the first day of reading, like dogs were dying. Aww. Can't do that. Teenage girls were becoming pregnant. Don't want to do that. Yeah. <laughs> like it's just I was like, ah. I was like, I'm sure that this has something to say and I'm sure that it's valuable. People have gotten something out of it. It's yeah. well written. I can't do this right now. Yeah. And just set that aside and give yeah. yourself the permission. To give yourself like, permission I can't do to, that right now. Yeah. Especially when if you work in like a, a heavy like I work in social services, like, yeah. you know, where it's like a lot of heavy stuff from real people. So it's like, why would I get that from books? And plus, that doesn't mean you will never have the mental space to do that. We Again, going back to Anna Karenina, <laughs> I tried to read that book so many times growing up. I've mm-hmm. checked out the same copy from my tiny rural town's library every summer and got about the same amount in every summer. And then only now you know, 10 years down the road as an adult, I'm like, okay, yes, I actually can read this and understand it and be in the mental space to yeah. be in it. Also, I think I was just trying to impress everyone with how cool and well-read I was, which is not a great motivation. Isn't that, isn't that what we're doing now still? Uh, <laughs> is this Does this count as well-read? <laughs> well, you read it. So. I... <laughs> um. I was trying to just think of something that we could end on that was like pretty funny. Oh, something that's not funny, but maybe just a little less, a little less uh, heavy is I think you can definitely tell that this book is in 1996 because of the way she views history. Mm-hmm. Um, you're like, okay, you're looking through a lens yeah. back at how it would have been in 1920s London, but also looking back from now, 2019 to when this book was written in 1996, I'm like, okay. There's some sexism in this book that I don't think comes from the Victorian area. I think she's implanting it from 1996 to oh, like interesting. Mesh, mash that together. Like at one point. Sexism. It's timeless. <laughs> <laughs> at one point they're talking about the business and Mary's like rushing around like she was she's she's the secretary but she takes on way more duties than yeah. the secretary does because that's what she wants to do because but the like, word because the word like administrative coordinator didn't exist <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> so she's doing way more in the business than like she her job title she's the office indicates manager. yes yeah and she's doing great she has transformed their business into more than the sum of its parts they're doing really well solely because mary came in and kind of like put her magic touch on things so they're all at a party together and they're discussing their business and she's like animatedly talking to a potential customer and colin and dick and look at each other and smile proudly and i was like 
Why are you two men proud of Mary taking charge of things? She did it, not you guys. You don't deserve the pride. <laughs> wow. I was like, Aah! I feel like uh, you and I went to a screening of My Fair Lady oh, in the local theater because it's the 50 year anniversary or whatever. And it's like the song, like, we did it. We did yeah. it. You know, yeah. Like, oh, we did it. And <laughs> I feel like you're just still uh, still bitter about that. I'm still bitter about that. I feel like uh, Liz Lemon when she says, nerd rage. I just. <laughs> This isn't a nerdy thing. It's just a female. I just am having rage. Yeah. We were just talking about 30 rocks, so that's what came to mind. That's what came to mind. (laughs) So um i think i think i discussed everything about this book that i want to. You're right. It wasn't the funniest of books. Uh Uh-huh. I will say um lots about it was bad, but it was very descriptive and that pulled me through it. Like you were saying that book that you just had to stop reading. I was like, I actually am enjoying the process of reading this. Like I am exclaiming a lot of like oh this is dumb oh my gosh this wouldn't really happen but I did I was engaged in it I didn't feel like I wanted to put it down because it was so descriptive at that that's really that's its redeeming quality yeah so knowing that do you no. regret having no. not read it yeah yeah no I don't regret it okay good. it sounds it sounds super heavy sounds like I would get annoyed that there wasn't enough songs <laughs> uh sounds like uh yeah I'm just going to go back and listen to the soundtrack again and yeah. uh, clean yourself out. Just refresher. clean myself off yeah. from that dark feeling. Well, that's what I did when I went back and read the original. I was like, I want to get Susan Moody's palate cleanser. Yeah, palate cleanser. I actually think we should do that because the last time that we did the craft novel, mm-hmm. I like slogged through that with a different book on my bedside table as motivation. I was like, as soon as I get through this craft novel, I can read that one that I actually want to read. So you're saying like, I need to find you a bad book, but then I also need to find you a good book. No, you don't need to find me one. I have plenty that I'm like, I know I will enjoy this. I'm ready to do this. But I have to bait you. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Actually, I'm pretty, I don't know. I'm pretty good at self-motivation. I checked out because this book took so long and shipping, I went to the library and was like, oh, I can't have nothing to read. I'm waiting on this book, but I have nothing to read. And I checked out a bunch of books that I'm really excited to get started. Um, The Hannibal Lecter series. Oh, interesting. I only recently watched Silence of the Lambs for the first time. I watched that. It was great. And I was like, yeah, I was like, I want to find out more about this i want to read these books and like see more of the characters so i'm excited for that but as soon as i checked it out like i went to the library and got my holds and then the package came in the mail i was like i better not start these because then i won't start the terrible book (laughs) so that's my motivation that i'm gonna go to but another thing so i I, so i read the original as a palate cleanser and then i wanted to just mention something can i mention that artist that i found totally um the internet listened in on me and realized that i was (laughs) um reading the secret garden. And when I was searching around on Pinterest, I came up, I came upon this gal who had done a series of illustrations, I think just on her own, on her own blog. Her name is Julia Sardas, S-A-R-D-A-S. And they were beautiful illustrations. So if anyone wants to look that up, Julia Sardis. I'll um, look it in, I'll, uh, I'll link it in oh, the yeah. episode notes too, especially since people can, uh, can't, buy the book yeah don't buy the book just look at this yeah it's not on prime or whatever <laughs> yeah <laughs> anyway um so yeah and i i don't know i felt uplifted by that i was like oh this book was sad and bad and heavy but look at this beautiful artwork from the original secret garden it makes me feel really happy um so, yeah. yeah it was good yeah well um 
we'll see you next time on yeah. Terrible Books with Kate. Thanks for listening. Bye. <laughs>